You're listening to Fan Holes, a podcast for fans by the fans. Secret Brothers. I have clinical. You guys are like wasting my time right now. Hey, baby. What's <laughs> going on? This is my microphone voice. <laughs> Where do you buy those that? I need one. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck is going on. I didn't invent honorable mentions, mister. <laughs> I have a headset. It looks way cool. You should all be jealous. I, uh, we are. I'm with Mike on that one. I'm a woman! <laughs> it is our show. It's called Fan Holes, not, you know, what you guys want. <laughs> <laughs> We do a podcast? What the fuck? You know who I am. You don't know where I am. But you know what I'm listening to. Fan Holes Podcast. The podcast made for fans by fans. So visit fanholespodcast.blogspot.com the address is already in your browser. Exciting, isn't it? Imagining how it got there. Fan Holes Podcast. You'll never see them coming. Hey guys, what's going on tonight? This is Derek, Derek WC, your host on Fan Holes, and we're going to be having a special Fan Hole Dare show again. If you guys don't know what those shows are, traditionally, we usually talk to one another amongst ourselves before we do the show, and we give ourselves little assignments, and tonight is going to be a Fan Hole Film Dare, and we were just trying to change up who gets to assign who to what. So instead of it being kind of a pass-the-buck thing where we each kind of do a round circle of assignments, uh, we kind of did a Secret Santa switch. So uh, tonight it's going to be me and Brian who did a Secret Santa switch with two different films, and then it's going to be uh, Mike and Justin who did a Secret Santa switch with two different films. But uh, I guess I've already revealed it, but uh, go ahead and shout out, guys, and let everybody know who's here tonight. Is Brian Breakdown? Mike Thunderwing? Justin Grimlock. So, yeah, so we're doing another Fan Holes film there. Um, I guess, uh, are, should, should we tell them what we're going to do first, or should we just sort of announce it as we, as we roll on with the show? I think we should just announce it as we go. Okay, well then... Uh, since just so just so they can't hear all the choices and then be like, oh man, I'm going to shut this episode off. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. So so I guess since, uh, since we... Uh, I guess I'm just going to go down on my uh, Skype thing here. But uh, since Mike is the first person on my Skype list, um, Mike, why don't you tell uh, who you're... You know, I, well, you did a Secret Santa thing with Justin, so why don't you... Uh, you know, tell the listeners what you assign Justin, and then we'll have Justin go into his uh, his film pick for tonight. Well, I ass- knowing that Justin's like a fan of like Sentai and anime, and just you know, uh, I guess uh, adaptations of uh, like Japanese stuff in America. Um, I had him watch the first live action Giver movie that they made in the U.S. Um, I think it was made in the... I forget if it was the tail end of the 80s or the it's, early uh, 90s. 1991. Okay, yeah, so... Uh, I, I I figured he'd probably get a kick out of it because it stars Mr. Mark Hamill in it and, you know, it's got some, you know, some kind of, you know, kind of sensibilities of, like, you know, sort of, like, I don't know... Yeah, it's got the, sen- the whole Sentai-ish yeah. stuff going on, yeah. Yeah, the monster costumes and all that, so... Uh, what'd you think of it, Justin? Um, I enjoyed it. Like overall, like it, it, it's a really kind of an odd thing. Um, I never, I never actually watched this. I remember like Sci-Fi Channel used to run it like all the time, like way back in the day. And you know, I'd like read Starlog magazine, and you'd see like model kits for the Giver, and I'd be like, this Giver guy looks pretty neat. And like, 
I always wanted to watch it too because of Mark Hamill, and I'm like, well, you know, you never I, until like you know he voiced the Joker. Like, you never really saw him in anything live action except for like when he was like uh, on the Flash. So I was like, so Mark Hamill's like this guy, guy, like what? You never you never watched Corvette Summer? You never watched Slipstream? <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't know Mark Hamill's are. Mark Hamill's greatest hits. <laughs> no, never mind. I'm just giving you crap because I watched a bunch of Mark Hamill stuff. But, okay. <laughs> but uh, I remember like seeing like a VHS or DVD cover where it's like, you know, half the side of it is like Guyver's face, and the other half is like Mark Hamill's face. I'm like, oh, he's like some kind of weird, like superhero or something, I guess. But anyway, uh, yeah, like this was really interesting. It did, it did feel like, uh, like Common Rider kind of. Um, like they made some like one-off Common Rider films like in the late '80s, early '90s that that felt a lot like this. Like they had like uh, more like mature themes and like uh, better like monster design and special effects, and it, and it felt like this. But um, I don't know. It's like uh, like I watched this and I enjoyed it, Mike. Like this is a good pick, but like parts of this, it's like it was almost too goofy to take seriously. Yeah, and like no, definitely. Yeah. Like, I was gonna say I, I should. I I think I told you you could pick which one, but I was like, if you want to see like a more serious one, like the second one is a lot better, like mm-hmm. in in terms of that. But yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting. Like I I had only seen the first movie. Uh, back in 1991, and kind of like Justin said, I, I got into it because I was like, oh, Mark Hamill's in it, you know, and I was kind of interested in that way. I sort of remember being disappointed that that Mark Hamill wasn't the Giver, yeah. like because I, I was thinking he was going to be the Giver, you know, because he's basically he's the 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 main bill of the film, I guess, but you know, he's kind of like this gruff police detective, you know, who's helping out, you know, the the lead characters pretty much right and um and so that was kind of like i was like oh well i guess he's not you know he's kind of like and and special guest appearance by you know mark hamill or whatever um you know as detective gruffy gruff or whatever his name was right but um you know i i i i thought that the um you know you guys were talking about how it's kind of goofy and stuff like i i think that kind of probably turned me off a little bit to other guyver stuff because because some of the goofy stuff was really goofy. Like, I think it's kind of like going from, you know, like, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but it's like, it's like if you watch, like, say, you know, the Adam West Batman, and then, you know, it's like if you watch Guyver 2, I'm I'm not going to say it's like going from Adam West Batman to Batman Begins, but I will say it's like going from Adam West Batman to, like, at least Tim Burton or Batman Forever or something. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's just, it takes itself more seriously than the first movie does. Because there's plenty of points where the first movie's just like, what? Serious? Fuck serious. And it just throws serious, like, straight out the fucking window. And it's like, the hell with that, you know? But that's, I guess, how it rolls. Well, yeah, I was kind of, like, kind of disappointed when Mark Hamill wasn't the guy where I was like, oh, it's going to be like this, like, soap opera looking, like, Kung Fu punk guy. It's interesting that you say that because that actor went on to much success as like a soap opera actor. I mean, that's probably what mm. what he's most uh, famous for. I mean, at least on, you know, you know, because I was like, what the hell did this guy go on to do? Because they all it's funny. They all, like I think a lot of the people in that movie went on to do other stuff or they were already, you know, like the guy from the Hills Have Eyes who was in all the Wes Craven yeah. movies like, or, you know. Uh, what's his face? JJ uh, uh, from Good Times or whatever, you know, like that that kind uh, of stuff. Like the girl, like the monster girl, that was like, um, uh, what's her name? She was the Klingon woman in Star Trek Five. Right, right. I mean, like to me, I, I think they were all capable actors. So it's like it's funny because I, you know, part of me wants to say the acting was bad, but I'm wondering if it was like a specific directorial choice you know how like power rangers are kind of like oh you have to say this like a goofy motherfucker like that's part of the i'm sure that's part of like the director's imperative you know it's like you can't you can't just be like triceratops saber tooth tiger and be like (laughs) badass it's like no you have to be like you know you know like you have to say it like a goofy motherfucker so Um, i'm I'm wondering if they kind of said dude you've gotta you've gotta butcher these you know lousy lines even more or something. 
the um Vivian Wu, like the lead actress, like I thought she was like kind of bad in this, but like yeah, yeah. I get what you were saying. Like I like I kind of wondered if she was directed that way because like she was in um like kind of a memorable episode of Millennium. Yeah, like she's, she's and she was really good in that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think she's well trained. Do you know what I mean? It's just that, yeah. that's why I question it because I was like, well, she's gone on to do a bunch of stuff, and it's like she's not bad per se, but she's definitely bad in this. John, he's the one. He's the one who murdered my father. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if if that was, you know, I I don't know if that was just. A, case of poor direction or the fact that like they had a you know kind of you know mediocre script with kind of silly you know lines to deliver or what but yeah i mean oh, there's definitely i should some... i should point out if like you were looking for the guy for the main character to be like played with someone with a little more star power well not so much but you know um in like geek circles at least uh in in number two uh uh david Hayter yeah. plays him yeah, AKA Solid Snake. AKA the, so. the screenwriter of X Men, supposedly. Yeah. <laughs> like, he was on set or something and typed it all up. Also, in this film, Jeffrey Combs. Yeah, Jeffrey Combs. Yeah. Gotta, give, gotta give it up for Wei Yoon. Yeah. Cameo. You know, I thought What's His Face, the guy who played the bad guy, was taking acting lessons from, like, Jack Palance because this came out, like, two years after Batman. Like, did anybody else yeah. get, like, a Carl yeah. Driscoll vibe when he's, like, talking to uh, the Hills Have Eyes guy where he's kind of like, you're my number one guy, you know, and <laughs> yeah. shit like that. Um, like, I, I thought there was, like, a lot of, like, weird and surprising things in this, too, like – when um, I guess I'm kind of spoil like little pieces of this, but whatever. Like when Guyver gets his little sphere ripped out of his head and he melts, I was like, what? What? Like, how does he come back from that? Like the doctor <laughs> at the beginning when he melted, like that was it. And then when he comes back, he like he he bursts out of Jeffrey Combs' monster form, like fully grown. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> how did that happen? Like, did he like? That's that's really weird. I I, you you haven't seen any of the animes, have you, Justin? Or? No. Okay, well, like it's that that orb is basically like the Giver's core or whatever, and it can regenerate the entire unit, like including the host, like when it gets destroyed or whatever. Mm. So that's I guess that's kind of like an established part of like Giver lore. But yeah, I, I can imagine it comes out of like left field in the movie if you don't know that like already. <laughs> I don't know. Like part of me would assume like not not just assume that because I have seen some Giver anime and stuff like that but then you know i was just thinking like oh well maybe he used the you know organic material inside jeffrey combs's monster form to like build you know his own regeneration or something mm -hmm. i don't know that's kind so of I, how i'm thinking I, I was thinking like well okay me like so pretty boys soap opera got melted maybe like mark hamill is going to become gaver at the end with the little sphere but nope <laughs> he just kind of dies <laughs> yeah, he turns yeah. into like a weird cockroach, and he's like, "I'm dying," and that's it. But but yeah, like this is this is really fun. Like I I did enjoy this, and you know if you say like the the sequel is like more serious and better, like I'll probably sit down and watch that later too. Yeah, I, th I think it's worth. You know what's funny was I I watched the sequel just in case we were going to talk about that because I had never seen it before. And um, I, I thought it was pretty cool. Like, I mean, it's it, it definitely it takes itself seriously. So if like if you yeah. if you were more into the goofy aspects of the first film, then maybe maybe the second film might not be your thing. But I mean, if you you know you obviously you like Common Rider and things like that, where it takes a very kind of you know dramatic heavy tone to like you know all the material and everything kind of gets a little almost on the horror side of things. Like it's very it's more like that, you know. So mm. there's there's a lot more. It's, it, I should, yeah, I should say it, the second one is a lot more faithful, like to the original anime, basically and stuff. Cool. So uh, I guess uh, that is uh, the Giver live action adaptation. Um, so next up on uh, my Skype window here is going to be uh, Justin. So we'll have Justin kind of do the uh, you know whiplash and and tell us uh, you know what he uh, he suggested for Mike, and we'll hear Mike's thoughts on that film. Well, for Mike, I picked a uh, film called Little Big Man, and it's a 1970 film starring Dustin Hoffman, who is basically raised by Indians, and it's kind of a, like an oddball, 
like satire kind of comedy film and um this is one of those films like I like a good buddy of mine had been trying to get me to watch it for years and I finally was just like I'm not gonna watch it because you keep telling me to watch it like I kind of like it was kind of like a running joke with us he's like have you watched this yet I'm like no shut up I'm not gonna watch it so when I finally sat down and watched it, I was like, man, I should have watched this when he told me to because this is like – like I thought it was really great and hysterical. So I thought I would like assign it to Mike because it's like a early Dustin Hoffman film that like I've never heard very many people like talk about, it seems. Um, yeah, like I'd, I'd never heard of it before and like um, I was – yeah, I was kind of like – I was like kind of going back and forth. I was like, is this sort of a comedy or like an actual like historic piece or or you know what? But it, it was kind of like a really kind of like eclectic mix of all that, you know, and it, it had a lot of like funny moments and stuff that I really liked and like a lot of good like – a lot of good acting and stuff and uh well it's funny i thought like dustin hoffman was like the most like over the top guy <laughs> in it and stuff yeah. like he really like i he he was really i don't know some sometimes like is he delivered lines like really like yeah god bless george what's he done before i know it them words just popped out of my mouth god bless my mother but um i really liked uh be called the 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 Indian chief, like his grandfather. Uh, uh, Old Lodge Chief. Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, great, I was. Yeah, I, I really liked the characterization of like the the Indians and stuff, like the Native Americans. They they yeah. I their their tribe. It was it was like very subtle, like you know, where they they kind of took the, like I guess like all of them seemed to like take things like as they were and then like there was no like gray area to it like basically there was like it's either this thing or it isn't this thing you know it's like when when like dustin hoffman like like finds them again after like five or six years and they're like well no you can't be alive we you know you you turned into a like a, a, a swallow and flew away and like we like we saw you die and then you you turned into a bird and flew away and like dustin hoffman's like well no i'm i'm still alive and like you, you can see on my avatar that one guy's like he puts his hammer to his head and he's like there is a pain between my ears i just cannot like grasp this you know and and then like they take him back to like the camp and like old lodge skins like says oh yes this is my son this is the boy we raised and like he like you know he talks to him and they eat and then like he goes outside and like the whole like tribe like gathers around him and he's like i have talked and i have thought and i have smoked on this matter and my assessment is this this is our son and he has returned to us you know it's like it's kind of like it reminded me of um kind of like uh the ents like in lord of the rings like where they're like you know we don't we don't say anything unless we're totally sure and we've discussed it and we've like you know beyond any reasonable doubt and you know then we've decided you know this is what it is so i thought that was kind of cool yeah like uh i like the old, uh his grandfather's character old lodge skins like i i, I really like the the last scene at the end where he's like getting ready to like commit suicide and he like goes up and puts himself up on the like uh altar thing or whatever and he lays there and then like uh like it starts to rain or something and then he's like well sometimes the magic works and sometimes it does it and they just kind of like leave <laughs> yeah he's like he's like grandfather and he's like uh oh am i still in this world and he was like yes i think so grandfather and he's like i was afraid of that oh <laughs> shit yeah. No, it's funny that you guys mentioned, like, you hadn't heard of the film, because I, I think I had watched this. I didn't get a chance to rewatch it before we, we did the show, unfortunately, but um, I, I remember watching this. I think it was either for a, an English class or a history class or something when I was in high school. So that's the first time I can remember watching it and everything. And, uh, you know, I, I think it was some kind of, you know, teacher thing where they were trying to, you know, either relate to us something about history or some kind of, you know, literature we were reading at the time or something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I could see why it would be, uh, you know, I mean, it was pretty critically acclaimed, I think, at the time. And then also um, what I was going to say was, uh, and I don't know if I've ever gone into this story before on the podcast, but um, it just reminds me of a lot of stuff because Dustin Hoffman's like one of those kind of, you know, 
serious quote unquote method actors, you know, like where he, you know, gets into the role and does all this kind of, you know, specific stuff to it. And I, I always think that's kind of funny because, you know, I, I'm kind of of two minds on the subject, but, um, you know, when, when I was like reading up on some of the stuff, you know, one of the things I think they have in like the wiki article is how, you know, to get the, the old man voice for the, you know, the old man, he sat in his trailer and screamed for like four hours straight or something to get this hoarse <laughs> voice. And to me, I'm like, it, it makes me roll my fucking eyes and go, oh, yeah, that's totally Dustin Hoffman, because that's, <laughs> you know, that that's totally something he would do, you know, because I, I remember this story that one of my drama professors would always talk about in college, and he would always go on about how uh, Dustin Hoffman and Laurence Olivier were doing a show on Broadway at the time. And, you know, obviously they're two big names in acting, right? One's Dustin Hoffman, one's Laurence Olivier, and they're both renowned and famous actors. But they have two very different outlooks on acting, which is illustrated by this story. And so I guess the idea is, I, I don't remember what the play was, but the point is Dustin Hoffman's supposed to come into the scene exhausted. Like, he's he's been strung out all night, and he's supposed to just feel and look like shit. So what does Dustin Hoffman do? He goes outside the theater, runs around the block, like, 15 times, and then comes on stage. You know, basically to make himself exasperated and strung out and all this other stuff. And Lawrence Olivier is just looking at him, and he goes, My dear boy, it's called acting, you know. And so, like, that's basically, you know, and I always thought that was kind of funny. And then I remember years later, uh, one of my friends showed me this article that Russell Crowe did an interview in, you know, and, and we had a good laugh about that because, you know, we obviously if you take one class with the one drama professor I was talking about, you end up taking, you know, multiple classes with them and you end up hearing the same story like 15 times or whatever. So we had heard this, you know, Lawrence Olivier, Dustin Hoffman story about 20 times, which is why I remember it now. Um, but, uh, so he, he's like, Hey, hey, read this article with Russell Crowe. And so I read the article and it gets to this point where they bring up the, the Lawrence Olivier, Dustin Hoffman exchange, cause it's fucking famous among actors. And so, you know, Russell Crowe's like, you know, fuck Lawrence Olivier. You know, he, he was all like indignant about it. He was all pissed off cause you know, Dustin Hoffman did all this hard work and whatever, you know, but anyway, I, like I said, I'm of two minds, but I always found those things. You know, but anyway, I find that kind of amusing. And, and when I was reading up on Little Big Man and how he, you know, was yelling in his trailer for 15 hours before he would do a scene to do the old man voice, I was like, yeah, that's that's totally Dustin Hoffman. Like, so. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I was like, maybe he should have worked better on like his uh, accent, I guess. I don't know what he was like. Some of his lines were like totally unconvincing and stuff like I, I don't know what it was, but. In any case, I was going to say a couple other like characters in that movie I really liked were uh, his his rival in in the tribe, younger uh, bear. Younger bear. Yeah. yeah, it's like he always like he's always like incidentally outdoing him like by accident. It seems like like where he's like you know. Um, he his his like Indian wife is like oh my my three sisters like you know they their husbands have died and they don't have children will you please like you know sleep with them and and give them babies you know and Dustin Hoffman's like oh all right <laughs> so he does it and then like he meets younger bear again and younger bear's like oh my friend you know uh, I I I am a very we haven't seen each other in a while but I'm a very important man now I have a beautiful wife and I own four horses you know <laughs> and Dustin Hoffman's like oh well, I have one horse, but I have four wives. And then, like, Younger Bear's like, oh, you beat me again! You know, and it's stuff like that that was really funny. And and the part where he was, like, the like the second time he, he met him again, where he was like, oh, he's a he's a contrary warrior now. He does everything in reverse. And, like, he's, like, walking backwards and, uh, what do you call it? He's, like, he says he bathes in dirt and he dries off in the water, you know? <laughs> And, like, he, he's like, I'm glad I saw you again. And he was like, he means he doesn't like you, you know. But it was, uh, was kind of like, it's Bizarro, Younger Bear, or, <laughs> or whatever his name was. So I thought that was really funny, too. And I also thought the guy who played Custer was really good, too. So, yeah, he was he was pretty, uh, like, I don't I don't think that was very, like, historically accurate. Like, I always read that, like, Custer isn't, like, half as bad as, like, movies and stuff portray him as. But, you know, it, it was a really, like, 
an entertaining performance of like like an egomaniac and a, like a lunatic, basically. Yeah, I think they definitely say that 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 a lot of the presentations are usually skewed. You know, definitely there there's always some kind of uh, you know dramatical license and 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 maybe some agendas in play. So I I could totally see that as well. And believe it or not, like as much as I love history, I don't know a whole lot about Kester or the Battle of Little Bighorn. So I just kind of you know most of those portrayals. Like I think there was a TV movie like way back in the 90s I thought was pretty decent but like I think most of the portrayals it's like he's way too over the top I think I think most of the time they say like what I always read is that like General like Grant or President Grant was the one that was like pressuring him to keep pushing and like eliminating all the Indian tribes and stuff so but you know who knows but in any case like I, I really enjoyed this movie and I'm glad you recommended it to me woohoo Cool, cool. All right, so uh, I guess we'll we'll keep moving on down the uh, the Skype tree, and so now uh, staring at me is uh, is good old Brian, and uh, so we'll have Brian tell uh, what he uh, what film he assigned to me, and then we'll we'll go into it for a little bit. Um, the film I assigned for you is one I actually talked about quite a while ago on the show. I believe I believe it was my favorite thing of the week at one time, and. Um, the the movie I, I asked you to watch, it's a good movie, um, and I think everyone should watch it, but I asked you to watch Moon. Yeah, it was cool. I liked it. Um, I, uh, I I remember you told me to watch it a while ago, and I had, I had got it ready for myself, and then, you know, just because I was busy doing other stuff, it just sat there, you know, for like a while, but I finally watched it yesterday. Um, and it was cool. I enjoyed it. Um, it's uh, basically a science fiction piece, I guess, but, you know, a, li- a little more drama disguised than science fiction. Um, but basically, uh, kind of like Justin says, this film came out in 2009, whereas, you know, Little Bighorn came out in, like, the 70s. So I think, uh, you know, maybe spoilers for that are, like, you know, 30 or 40 years old. Well, spoilers for this are maybe, you know, <laughs> three or four years old, but there's going to be some spoilers. So if you want to watch it... Um, like Brian's suggesting, uh, maybe you should uh, not listen to this and go watch it, and then come back and listen to the rest of this if you want. Yeah, it's actually a movie that's pretty easily spoiled too, because it's... yeah, yeah, like that's that's why I, I'd go into it, you know. But anyway, uh, you know, the, the only way to kind of discuss what I thought about it is to kind of go into it a little bit. But um, it's it's a science fiction film, um, and uh, it seems to have a a bent on, uh, you know, uh, I guess you'd call it, you know green safe energy and stuff like that and the idea is they they pull up this mineral from the moon and that basically is the you know primary energy source on earth during that time frame um and you know you've got a guy out there um named sam and he is basically the the lone miner on this uh space station on the moon and uh he's joined by this kind of robotic companion kind of like hal from uh 2001, who's named Gertie. Um, it was a little off-putting at first, because Gertie is obviously Kevin Spacey, and uh, Sam is played by Sam Rockwell, um, so there's that. Um, and so, like, for, for a while there, I'm kind of like, all right, this is Kevin Spacey, you know, but eventually I kind of forgot it was Kevin Spacey after a while. Um, but, uh, you know, basically it's like this kind of hovering, you know, automated, you know, it's kind of like Hal, but Hal follows him around on these little kind of treadmills and you know he's kind of hung from the wall and he's just kind of zooming around the station and is like hey can i help you out sam how's it going you know stuff like that and it's how with friendly emoticons yeah basically yeah the the emoticons are kind of funny because throughout the course of the film like like you know there's you know obviously he's always trying to uh you know take care of Sam while he's on the station and doing his mining, but he's always got these kind of, like, happy faces. But then anytime something, like, uh, you know, either mysterious or sad happens, you know, it, like, changes to, like, the indifferent emoticon or the sad emoticon or the crying emoticon, and that kind of cracks me up a little bit. But um, I guess th- this is probably the point where, where you-, you can't help but spoil the show. So uh, basically, uh, you know, we got Sam Rockwell, so Justin Hammer's on the space station, and uh, he keeps seeing shit, because I guess, you know, supposedly he's been on the space station, he's got a three-year 
uh, contract, and at the end of the three years, he's going to go back home, and you know somebody's going to come out to relieve him, you know, so he gets to go home to his wife and daughter and everything, and uh, you know somebody else is going to relieve him doing the mining duties, you know, up on the moon and everything, and he keeps seeing stuff because it's like he's been alone on a space station for like three years, so he's kind of starting to crack up a little bit. And the last time he takes the Land Rover out, he gets into this big accident because he's like still seeing like images of, you know, people. I don't even know if they go into who the fuck those people are, but he's kind of seeing like weird images and stuff like that. And so he ends up crashing into one of the, the mining rovers, even though he's on his own little Land Rover. And then the next scene, it's like, it looks like somebody got him. But you're kind of like, well, how did he get from the Land Rover to the space station? Like, who, Gertie did it? Like, does does Gertie have, like, a, you know, a physical robot form that comes out there and picks him up? Like, you're kind of wondering what's going on. And um, so he wakes up and he's kind of like, where am I and what's going on and everything? And as he slowly becomes reacclimated, he can start to walk again. And, you know, you're like, okay, well, I guess he's not injured and everything. And then uh, for some reason, Gertie, you know, this is when the smiley emoticons go from smiley to like kind of indifferent and sad because he's like, I don't want you to go outside, Sam. And he's kind of like, why the fuck doesn't he want me to go outside? And eventually he basically like self-sabotages some stuff. You need to let me go outside and fix this problem, Gertie. I can't let you go outside, Sam. Gertie, if you don't let me go outside, we can't fix this leak. I'm not permitted to let you go outside. Just, let, we'll keep it between you and me, okay, pal? This thing is free and gas, let's go, come on. Just to check the exterior shut. Yeah, of course. Okay, Sam. Thank you. And so he goes outside and uh, is looking around and everything, and he comes across the Land Rover. And he's kind of like, oh, this is the Land Rover that supposedly crashed, but I don't really remember crashing. And when he looks inside, he finds another guy inside. And then he wipes off the mask, and he's like, oh, there's somebody in here. Like, we got to save him. He brings him back real quick. He's like, you got to bring him to the infirmary. And when the guy gets brought back to the infirmary and he's all cleaned up, basically he kind of finds out he's Ben Riley, and this other guy is Peter Parker. And so Peter Parker got crashed in the Land Rover, and he's Ben Riley, and he's kind of like, what the fuck's going on, and he's kind of freaked out and everything, and so the, the main dilemma of the story is basically, even Peter Parker finds out he's not Peter Parker, Peter Parker finds out he's Kane, and he's basically like really screwed, and he's calling, you know, he finally, like, I guess they, they, they have this kind of thing where they had all these towers that were jamming communications and supposedly the cover story was that, you know, I don't know, sunspots on the moon or some shit, whatever, the communications were down for whatever phony reason the company gave him. Um, And they call it the company. It's kind of interesting because, like, besides the 2001 kind of alliteration, you also get kind of a James Cameron or, you know, a Ridley Scott alien vibe, you know, from the the sets are and everything like that. And I think that was all intentional. And like, he seems like the director, the director actually is, um, is, uh, David Bowie's kid. I don't remember what his name is off the top of my head, but I guess they, they said he was a big fan of, you know, those kind of movies, or at least that's what they were going for. And so, you know, the, the overview of the company is obviously, you know, all companies are super fucking evils and all that kind of stuff. And what I find interesting about it is, and this is something that I've always said is, I don't know if anybody out there watches Gundam anime, but if you do and you've seen um, Gundam 00, like I know Mike has, I always find it interesting that they're going to war over solar energy collectors in some of the series, especially in 00, because my thing is kind of like, I think it's interesting because they're basically telling you it doesn't matter if we get off oil. It doesn't matter if we change all the energy, you know, whether it's all this, you know, green stuff or not, like who's ever in charge and has power and has certain ways to fuel society and make it go. Well, people are going to fight over that shit, whether it's solar energy or fucking oil or this, you know, lunar, you know, mineral or whatever. Isn't it helium three that they use? Yeah. yeah, Helium three is what they're mining. So, you know, and it's just kind of like, to me, I'm like, well, you're, you're surely going to have, you know, people fighting over that or doing kind of, you know, 
not so legitimate things like basically cloning this guy and making him work to death. And then every three years, I guess they, you know, send out the new batch of clone, you know, and, and have him start over again. And basically, you know, this, this guy is the one that's, you know, mining all this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. But, it, you know, I mean, you know, obviously spoilers, you know, it does kind of have a semi, you know, uplifting ending where, you know, uh, the, I guess, in my analogy, the Ben Riley guy escapes. Uh, Kane kind of ends up serving as the, the sacrifice or whatever. He kind of gets broke and, um, you know, has to stay behind to uh, facilitate his his uh, brother's, his clone brother's escape. But, you know, as, as the guy kind of escapes, you can kind of hear the radio chatter and how it's all kind of controversial that, uh, you know, this clone has escaped from his, uh, you know, his lunar work facility or what have you and that kind of thing. But, um, so some of it was a little, I don't know, some, some of it, like, where they had, like, the really, like, emotional music with, uh, with Gertie's emoticons. Like, part of, part of me wanted to laugh during those scenes, and part <laughs> of me wanted to, like, tear up and cry. It's kind of, it's kind of like a mixed emotion to it, you know, where it's like, mm-hmm. you could feel like it's a little manipulative, you know, like, just a little bit, you know, but, but that doesn't mean it wasn't a good film. Like, I, I think, uh, one of the reasons why I think you recommended it to me was all the special effects. And the fact that, you know, he was really into using model-based things instead of CGI and stuff like that. And that's definitely, I mean, you know, obviously in today's day and age, you're going to have some CGI and stuff like that. But this is, you know, much more traditional-based stuff that you'd see in, you know, something like Alien in 1979 than, you know, uh, George Lucas kind of, you know, speeder aliens or whatever that are all kind of computer generated so you know i mean I, I thought it was pretty cool and i'm i'm glad you uh you suggested it to me so yeah i'm glad you enjoyed it so much um i think models especially when well done like they look amazing and you know in the movie i thought all the sets that they made and even all the stuff they did out on the lunar surface i thought it looked really really cool and of course the twist is kind of neat you know finding out that sam's a clone and you know basically is like you said, evil corporations there, and, you know, as the clones degenerate, they just replace them with a new clone. I thought that was, you know, kind of cool, and um, not something I expected, you know, in the beginning of the movie. It had actually been recommended to me by a friend, and he didn't spoil it for me or anything. He just said, yeah, it's a really good movie, and it has a really cool twist. And so, yeah, I watched it, and I really enjoyed it. So, I think, I think being... Um I guess uh, of my age or whatever, you know, I was, I was expecting, um, Gertie to pull a how, you know, or something, you yeah. know, like, like the whole time I was expecting Gertie to, like, you know, when, when the clones discover the secret, I was expecting Gertie to, you know, murder the both <laughs> start murdering them, go on about their business and stuff. And I, I thought it was very interesting how, you know, in, in some ways, you know, he is kind of this reasonable, you know, his programming is to protect that, character you know and so right. he fulfills his programming and and you know like i said in some ways it's very touching in some ways you know i was kind of like a little felt a little manipulated but but you know it, it, it was definitely you know kind of a, a touching kind of relationship that they had even though you know you could argue that you know a clone isn't really a person and doesn't have a soul or you could argue that a machine isn't really a person and doesn't have a soul but obviously they forged, you know, emotional connections for the audience, regardless of, of whatever you think, you know. So it's kind of like, you know, saying like, oh, it'd be like watching a, a movie, and then all of a sudden you realize, oh, that's a rock, you know, and you're like, mm-hmm. that's a rock, yes, and you have an emotional connection to a rock, and I'm like, really? Okay, I have an emotional connection to a rock, you know, like that. That's kind of funny, but that's uh, that's kind of what it feels like sometimes. Yeah, I agree with you. I like that relationship and that the computer stayed good and altruistic the whole time. Like, the funny thing is, I I rewatched Aliens this week, you know, and it's just so nice to see, like, an artificial life form do good, you know? Not, like, yeah. turn out yeah. to have, like, some flaw in its programming yeah. and breakdown. So cool. Cool. All right. Um, so I guess uh, that, that leaves uh, uh, Mr. Brian and uh, my uh, film that I assigned to him. Uh, since Brian's a big fan of video games, and uh, I watched this uh, a couple years back, uh, I believe this came out in like 2008. So again, spoilers, but you know, it, it, you know, instead of uh, you know 30 year old spoilers, this is probably going to be 
you know, four or five year old spoilers. Um, but this is uh, from the Resident Evil franchise. Um, it's called Resident Evil uh, Degeneration or Biohazard, I guess, as it's called in Japan. Um, but this is uh, a film that uh, basically stars uh, Claire Redfield and Leon, and uh, it's kind of abridging the gap between uh, Resident Evil 4 and Resident Evil 5, the video games, not the film franchise. And, um, yeah, I mean, that, I mean, it's a CGI kind of animated film, and uh, I, I just was curious what Brian's thoughts on it would be. Um, yeah, like, for most people out there, you haven't watched this film by now. I doubt you're going to watch it. Um, so I don't feel bad about spoiling anything, because I think it appealed more so to, like, hardcore Resident Evil fans than just a casual fan. Um, but it was about as good as I thought it was going to be, or I could say it was about as bad as I thought it was going to be. Um, it, it definitely wasn't terrible, but, you know, I remember originally when I saw this in the store, and I just saw, like, the artwork on the box, and I was like, oh, this looks kind of cruddy, you know? And I was, I was somewhat disappointed that they went CGI, because in terms of, like, cartoons, I usually prefer hand-drawn um, cell animation to CGI animation. But um, it's kind of something that had remained at least on my radar scope, but I just never, I guess, had an opportunity to pick it up very cheaply or just never the initiative to watch it. So you at least gave me that. Um so, yeah, like you said, it stars Claire and Leon, and, like, my Resident Evil cred, I guess, as, like, you know, Resident Evil is one of the first games I saw for PlayStation 1. Um, I was over at my friend's house, and he had it, and he's playing that. And, I mean, at the time, it was, like, pretty mind-blowing, I guess. It seems silly now, like, uh, I don't know, just how outdated the graphics are and the control scheme and stuff. But then it was like a really, really cool thing. And I think it's like what initiated my love in zombies. So I really enjoyed Resident Evil 1. I, I played and enjoyed Resident Evil 2. And then um, what kind of got me back into Resident Evil games was Resident Evil 4. So Leon and Claire are both, fortunately, characters I'm pretty familiar with. And, um, you know, I really enjoy those characters. But the whole Resident Evil story overall isn't something that, you know, I'm super in-depth or knowledgeable about. And I think that those type of people are who this movie would appeal to the most, you know, because it gives you, like, a lot of the background going-ons that aren't necessarily, you know, in the games or that a casual gamer might not pick up. And um, basically it follows the same themes as Resident Evil games. You know, pretty much any corporation that's mentioned in a Resident Evil game is going to be like, completely evil, <laughs> and, like, out to destroy the world, like, somehow, it's always, it's always funny to me, like, like, in Resident Evil, like, games, the, it seems like the goal of the corporation is to release this virus, which will destroy the world, but somehow they're going to make a profit from that, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> usually it's by, like, selling a vaccination at the same time they're killing off all these people, but yeah. whatever, it just, it just always seems like, you know, an, an unattainable goal by the means that they're using, but um, so it kind of follows those same lines, and for fans, there's a there's a few like jokes, kind of uh, you know low low lying jokes. I don't think um, a lot of people might have gotten, but I remember one was like Leon was talking to a an army dude he's running with, and he's telling him how to kill these zombies. And he's like, you know, if you if you don't shoot for the head, you're just wasting uh, time and ammo, which can you know make which can be deadly. And that's kind of, you know, funny because in most Resident Evil games, like, ammo and your health is, like, very restricted. And that's part of what um, kind of sets up the whole, you know, fear thing in the game is, like, you know, you're fearful of dying because you don't have enough supplies and you can't just take out every zombie by, you know, unloading a whole clip on yeah. them. you gotta, yeah. you got to conserve and whatever. So there's a, there's a few nods like that that I really appreciated. There's um, one, like, with the... the you know, the one with, like, Claire, where she, like, runs around, like, the only thing she's got is the umbrella. Right, know? right, it's right. supposed to be a nod to the Umbrella Corporation. Yep. It's like, I could see, like, I could see if I was watching that with my dad, my dad would be like, what the fuck are you going to do with that umbrella? You know, but it's like an in-joke for, like, fans that know the series or whatever. Yeah. Yep. So, um, overall, I enjoyed the movie. I'm glad I got a chance to watch it. I think 
like I said, it'd probably appeal more to like hardcore fans that are like super in depth with the story of the games. And um, I'm not really one of those fans, but I knew enough at least that I got those type of jokes, and I stay I stayed interested for the whole thing. It is kind of a, a long movie. It's like I think yeah, ninety six minutes or something. I think I think like the pacing is kind of odd. Like it's got that weird kind of Japanese feel where I always feel like like. Japanese writers don't go to the same school that, like, Western writers do somehow. Like, I, right. I feel like if you looked at, like, the basic mathematical structure of an American screenplay and the mathematical structure of, of a Japanese screenplay, it would be a different equation. I mean, I really yeah. feel like, because cause there's, like, high points and lulls and high points and lulls, whereas, like, I feel like with, you know, a, a Westernized film, it's like, you, you establish the main character in the first four minutes, you know, you have, uh, you know, your your, con- your your conflict, you have your rising action, your climax, your denouement, and then it's fucking over, you know. But with this, it seems like sometimes you have, like, little mini climaxes and mini denouements and mini rising actions and, you know, like, where you almost, instead of it just being one kind of mountainous ride where it's a, you know, it's more like, a little roller coaster ish where you have little hills and you know, yeah. There's kinda... about twelve different points where I thought they could have ended the movie, but yeah, it didn't end. Um, <laughs> is is it's almost? I mean, movies like this, like especially um, like Final Fantasy VII Advent Children. I don't know if any of you have seen that. Yeah, yeah. But I kind of got the same vibe where it seems a little bit heavy handed. I'm gonna scrub this virus from the face of the earth. You chose the role of rescuer rather than fighter like me. You chose a path that your brother and I couldn't follow. You weren't wrong. Instead of like having like a three arc movie like you know you were saying most American film audiences are used to, like it seems like there's like an opening arc where you're introduced to the characters and get reacquainted with them. Then there's kind of a dead spot, and then like after they left that air- airport like tent ground whatever it was and went yeah. to the corporation. Like, that was the second arc, and it just lasted the rest of the movie. And that was, like, the last 70 minutes of it or something, you know? It was, like, one long sequence of just action events one after another. But, yeah, I don't want to bag on it too hard because I didn't hate it. I, li- I liked it, um, yeah, and I'm yeah. glad I got to see it. So I guess thank you for recommending it for me because I did need someone to give me, a, like, a little bit of push just to watch yeah, it. And no, I, no I am problem. glad I saw I- it. Yeah, I mean, if, if anybody wants to check it out, uh, I the reason part of the reason why I recommended it to Brian was because it's you have easy access. You can check it out on Hulu uh, for free. So if yeah, you're, if you're on the fence about it, and, and it's on the fence due to you know financial reasons or anything like that, um, you know, and you've got some decent internet access, go out to Hulu, watch a few commercials, and then uh, check out the movie if you're interested. Mm-hmm. Well, grandfather. All the whites aren't crazy. I'm glad to hear that, my son. I thought they were. Cool. Well, I guess I guess that's our uh, that's our Fan Holes Dare uh, podcast. So uh, if you enjoyed any of these films, uh, Resident Evil, Degeneration, um, Moon, uh, the Giver films, or uh, Little Big Man, you know, please go ahead and check those out. Um, I guess we'll go into our awesome thing of the week. Um, if you don't already know, if you haven't been listening, uh, the awesome thing of the week is just a segment where we like to uh, share or impart on to the listeners something that's really cool or awesome in our world this week. Um, so I'll just go down the same uh, tree again and uh, start off with uh, Mike. What, what's awesome in your world this week, man? Uh, just a couple anime things. Um, today, uh, the sixth episode of Gundam Unicorn came out, or, well, at least it's available for digital rental, like, in the U.S. and stuff, which is about as good as we get right now, basically, since Bandai doesn't, like, distribute, like, Gundam DVDs or Blu-rays anymore. But, uh, what do you call it? You know, it's more of the same, like, good awesome action and you know this this was kind of more of a talky episode and there wasn't a lot of like mobile suit action or anything but uh it it was laying the foundation for the final episode which i guess we have to wait another year for now so but uh i enjoyed it a great deal and you know i i can't wait for the next episode and for the whole series to 
wrap up or you know I guess the whole movie series I guess but it, technically they're episodes so but uh, and also um, earlier uh, this week I got to see uh, Evangelion uh, 3.0 and uh, you know it, it was okay but you know it, it's kind of starting to veer into that you know blue cupcakes type stuff <laughs> and you know I think me and uh, uh, Professor Smooth like you know kind of shared shared his own frustration with me like when I asked him some things about it and I like agree with him where it seems like a lot of like this the whole series as a whole and these movies like it seems like a lot of things are easily preventable if someone would just explain to other people what the fuck is happening but like (laughs) it's just like you know you know Shinji kill this monster there's no time you have to do it right now and you know and like they don't bother telling him like anything else, and then he's like, "Oh, I've ca- I've just caused the apocalypse. Like, how did that happen? <laughs> you know, it's stuff like that. Or you know, they're they're like, you know, Shinji, you should have more self confidence. And they're like, Oh no, Ray's like stuck inside that monster. And Shinji's like, Well, I'm gonna have self confidence and go save her. And then, then they're like, No, you can't, Shinji. And they was like, Well, you just told me to. And then then you know he causes the apocalypse and stuff. So it's like I don't know. Uh, stuff like that kind of annoys me sometimes, but you know, I, I guess I get what you know the the filmmaker is going after and stuff. But you know, sometimes it gets frustrating. But yeah. you know, otherwise it was very nicely you know animated and had like you know emotional and dramatic high points and all that. So you know, that was all cool. Do do they keep my not so favorite scene in the in the? Uh, I was I was about to crack a joke about that with with you and Smooth because you were having this really you know, in-depth conversation, and it was actually very serious, and I was about to bust out the, you know, uh, you know, Shinji is, uh, there was, you know. There was no Shinji ejaculation. No, no, no ejaculation <laughs> over a comatose little girl. Oh man, you know, see, so anyway, no. so there you go, no. none, none of that stuff, <laughs> so, so if anybody hates that stuff like I kind of do, then, well, maybe we'll actually check out the 3.0. No, the, yeah, it it kind of goes in a way way different direction than the like series oh, okay. did. So, okay. Yeah, but I thought it was okay, you know. <laughs> All right, cool. So, uh, how about you, Justin, my man? What is awesome in your world this week? Um, this week I watched the uh, HBO series Bored to Death. Um, this ran for three seasons and then it recently was canceled, I believe. Um, but uh, it stars – it has, like, a really weird cast. It stars, like, Jason Schwartzman, uh, Zach Galifianakis, and Ted Danson. And uh, the basic idea is Jason Schwartzman is, like, a writer who's struggling with his second novel. And after his girlfriend breaks up with him, he sits down. He reads, like, Raymond Chandler detective novels, and he puts on Craigslist that he's a private eye. And so he, he ends up taking up uh, – or taking on all these, like – cases that come to him uh, you know getting into like trouble and having adventures and uh, Zach Galifianakis is his best friend who's like uh, kind of like an indie comic book artist and Ted Danson is like uh, Jason Schwartzman's like best friend it's like he runs like some kind of uh, magazine or something and uh, they all kind of like meet up and have you know random adventures whether it's like Helping out uh, Jason Schwartzman's character, like on a job, or you know, like various other like problems with like women and stuff. Or, like it, it's a really fun series. It's kind of hard to like relate it to like any other TV show. It has like a odd sense of humor. Um, if you ever saw uh, Rushmore, which also had uh, Jason Schwartzman, it's kind of similar to that, like with its sense of humor. Um, but uh, like I said, it's it's three seasons, and each season is only like eight episodes, so it's like it's, it's really short. Like if you haven't seen another grand, you check it out. It, it it's pretty good. Cool, cool. Um, I guess I'm gonna be a, a shill for uh, Sony Yamaha and Directv today because uh, my uh, my old TV was a Toshiba. It was pretty old, but it it did its job. It lasted for about a good uh, you know I'd say a good ten eleven years or so, but. Uh, uh, I was kind of too lazy or what have you. I don't really have a um, a soldering iron, so 
I wasn't going to try and uh, fix the, the convergence problem I had with it, and uh, I ended up going out and getting a, a new Sony Bravia. So now I have a nice new TV with a nice new sound system, and uh, and then the DirecTV guy came out and hooked up this new uh, server box or whatever, and we have Genie in the house now, so, you know, we can basically, you know... Uh, either, huh? Barbara Eden? Yes, Barbara Eden is, <laughs> is sitting right on the front of my television. And thanks to Barbara Eden, um, you, basically you can watch TV in any room. So it's like whatever, I guess, you know, I know uh, Uverse tries to kind of pitch the whole, oh, you can walk into any room and watch whatever you want. So I guess Genie is uh, DirecTV's version of that. So uh, Genie you know, should be on your lap, Derek, just saying. Yeah, 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 I know, I know. <laughs> she totally should. Um, twinkle her, you know. <laughs> Head or whatever. Anyway. But, um, so anyway, uh, like, basically it's kind of cool because now I can, you know, get their on-demand stuff or whatever. Like, I was using it to watch uh, some BBC old-school Doctor Who. They were doing that mm-hmm. Doctor's Revisited special, so I watched that Aztecs thing. And then um, on... Um, they they have a channel called uh, HD Shorts where they show a lot of short films and everything. But uh, I was noticing they have a bunch of Funimation anime and stuff. So I watched the first episode of uh, uh, Aquarius, and it's kind of like supposed to be uh, a mech type show. I guess it's kind of like Gurren Lagann, where they're trying to, you know, pay homage to the old super robot animes from the 70s and 80s. It looks a little more. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't want to say serious because it's not like Gurren Lagann isn't serious, but it, it it looks like it's not as outlandish, I guess. I don't know. But anyway, uh, you know, I just watched the first episode, but I, I may try to watch the series on the rest of that uh, channel because they basically, you know, seem to air like the whole 26 episodes eventually. So, um, yeah, so that's basically my uh, my awesome thing for the week. Um, what about you, Brian? What's uh, What's awesome in your world this week? Um, I'd like to brag a little bit about some Creo stuff I got this week. Um, I'm, I may be the only one on the show that collects them, but uh, most people I'm sure probably know by now, or at least people that listen to our show know what Creos are and the Creon figures. They're basically um, Lego guy-sized Transformer figures um, that you can put together. And uh, they got blind packs you can buy individually and whatnot in the store which is kind of cool in itself, but of course everyone cheats and looks up the codes. Um, but they also have some bigger sets where you can get cool guys with as well. Um, so this week I got uh, Bludgeon, and I got actually an Alley Viper from the G.I. Joe line, because Alley Viper is one of my favorite G.I. Joes from when I was a kid. And those are pretty cool. And then today I went to um, Toys R Us, and they had um, some cheaper, smaller sets as part of the Beast Hunters Creo line now. And... Um, so I was looking at those, and with those sets, the Creon that comes with them, one is basically um, Trailbreaker. He comes with the Dragon Assault box, and then with the Mech Venom Strike box, you get a Wind Charger figure. And um, these are guys that weren't sold individually, so that's kind of cool. Uh, uh, as far as the Creons go, these two are actually really neat. They come with cool accessories, and also, as far as I know, um, at least all the individual packs I've bought so far... None of them have come with sticker packs. Most of the details are just painted on the figures, and unfortunately, sometimes you even cover that up as you're putting them together because some of the pieces will like slide over their chest and whatnot. But these these Beast Hunter packs, they actually have a separate sticker seat, sheet too, which is kind of cool to you know put stickers on toys again. I kind of like doing that because it reminds me of when I was little. So that's my cool thing for the week. And uh, if anyone's kind of on the fence about getting them. I mean the the individual packs are like two ninety nine or something, so why not just buy one? Check it out, see how cool it is. Cool, cool, very cool. All right, guys. Well, uh, that kind of wraps up our fan holes dare show and the awesome thing of the week. Uh, again, uh, if you have any questions, comments, you want to tell us your thoughts on the films that we just went over in the dare. Um, if you want to ha- send any suggestions or anything like that, you can reach us always at uh, fanholespodcast at gmail dot com. Uh, you can listen to us on the regular Blogspot webpage. Uh, you can check us out on iTunes. Uh, again, I, as as most podcasters do, uh, I implore you to leave good reviews on iTunes if you listen to us there. Um, also, uh, you can send us, uh, you know, any kind of uh, you know uh, stuff on Twitter. 
on uh, Facebook, all the likes we get on Facebook. We really appreciate those. It's good to know that people are listening. Uh, quick shout out to all the people on Bot Talk. I know a lot of people were listening to the Beast Machines episode that we just recently released. Um, and so it's nice to see that people are having some discussion about that again after, you know, Beast Machines being off the air for so many years. Um, it's just nice to know people are out there listening and stuff like that. So uh, if you like this episode or any others, you know, go ahead, give us a shout out. Um, until then, uh, this is Derek, Derek WC, signing off. Hey, this is Brian Breakdown. Mike Thunderwing. Justin Grimlock. Purse. What if it was Robin Williams? Whoa! <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> you got to think about these things, Derek. Hey, we're talking Barbara Eden, and you're thinking about Robin Williams. I think we know what's going on here. <laughs> I'm just no. I'm just saying. Yeah, you yeah. know, You don't know. You don't know what's going to come out of that. Yeah, later. yeah. What if it was Barbara Eden with uh, Robin Williams arms? <laughs> no, no hand jobs. <laughs> your hands behind your back. Pretend you're Bob and Crap. I'm going to put some, yeah, put some, um, some uh, uh, brown bags on your arms. <laughs> Here, Jeannie, I bought you some there. Why don't you try this out? <laughs>